today on 2C Fans. We can take a tiny little clipping the size of your little finger, grow it in the nursery for a year, plant it out on the reef, and within two years it will grow big enough that it will spawn. We have wow. actually found that. So, wow. And the wow. same goes for the massive corals that, that Moat is producing through Dave Vaughn's restoration program. Hello, welcome to Two Sea Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Joe Nicholson. And I'm Haley Rucker? No. No. <laughs> it's the other way around. That's Sorry. right. Yeah, I just really want to be Joe. He's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but <laughs> we're here today. With someone even cooler than Joe? Yeah, I okay. would say. All right, fine. This is uh, this is Eric Bartels from um, our Coral Reef um, Monitoring and Assessment Program. Did I get that right? That's right. All right. So welcome. Thank you. So, we want to know um, about, we know you work in our Florida Keys facility. I've been there. It's a neat place, and it's getting uh, a new facelift this year, a whole new building. And so, this is a big up-and-coming area of our research, really booming um, coral reef research and restoration. So, how do you fit into this? What's your job, and, and what motivates you to do it? What's my job? That's a good question. Well, so, my name is Eric Bartels. I'm a staff scientist and program manager. Uh, again, it's the Coral Reef Monitoring Assessment Program. It's kind of a complicated program to describe. We've, we've been there since the beginning uh, when the lab first started 18 years ago. And the program has sort of developed around all the different missions of the lab. Uh, it's not only a facility for moat research, but it's a facility for anyone conducting marine research to come down to the Keys and do the work. So uh, my program facilitates all of that work. You know, uh, I heard that we host, like, what, some hundred and something scientists a year from other places? Absolutely, or, yeah. yeah. We have people from all around the world coming, uh, different universities, different agencies and organizations, uh, everything from undergraduate classes to people doing their graduate work to established uh, PhDs working at, at institutions and and. Uh, academic universities coming down to do work. We work with uh, all fields. We work with fishery biologists and uh, marine chemists, uh, people that are doing benthic work, sponge work, coral work. Uh, it, we, you know, we support uh, basically all the different aspects of marine science. And it kind of comes back to Moat's overall mission. Moat has a broad background in all the diverse aspects of marine science here in Sarasota. And, and we're kind of similar, but with a virtual staff of, of visiting scientists conducting all these different disciplines down in the keys so yeah. so when did you come on with uh with moat down there uh, um and was it, it did you start when it was summerlin or did you start when we were first down because originally that uh that research lab was on pigeon key correct that's right yeah so i was actually hired in december of 1999 uh, by dr eric muller who at the time uh was running a very small lab on pigeon key sort of a historic landmark down in the Keys, but it, it had some some issues as far as logistics and, and reliable power and things like that. So I came on, we actually, I helped move all of the, uh, the seawater systems and tanks and aquariums from Pigeon Key to the, the newly purchased facility on Summerlin Key. Uh, the Summerlin Key facility was a sort of a makeshift lab for uh, a program that was breeding Reese's monkeys in the Keys for right. many years. So it was a, a rudimentary lab. They did blood work and that kind of thing. But we, we basically spent the first year, we had to renovate the entire facility, install seawater systems, and, and sort of convert it to a marine lab. Um, so yeah, I've been there. I'm in my 18th year now. 
And you guys had to get the monkey smell out of it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> my, yeah. My, so <laughs> the Coral Culture Lab was the monkey chow room. And so oh, my God. Over, and my office was actually the sick monkey room. Oh, Ooh. no. So, uh, but you're, you're not one sick monkey yourself. No. So, okay. Well, <laughs> depends on who you talk to. Okay. <laughs> um, but now it's all about coral reefs. And uh, if anybody knows anything about mo, they probably know a thing or two about corals. But can you um, reintroduce us to what corals are? what the reefs are like down in the Florida Keys and why people should care how they're doing. Like when you started there, the reefs were much different than they are today, correct? Well, yes and no. So I came in in the late 90s and uh, most of the large-scale decline uh, seemed to happen prior to that in the the 80s and early 90s. Um, I will say that there's, there's still been a steady decline over the years I've been there, uh, just maybe not as dramatic as a lot of the people that, that saw the reefs back in the 60s and 70s. Um, but there definitely is a steady decline. Uh, we see it every year. We see more bleaching happening, more disease. Uh, we even see impacts from hurricanes and, and even non-named storms like we just had down there mm-hmm. uh, can really do a lot of damage. Um, but backing up, you know, your question of what is coral? Um, coral is an amazing animal. It's, it's, uh, it starts out as a tiny single little larvae. And when it attaches itself to the reef, it actually starts to split and multiply. And it becomes a series of these polyps that form a colony. And the colony, the, the polyps actually grow their own house. So they actually secrete uh, calcium carbonate or limestone. And they create their own house. And that's what builds up the reef over time. The coral animal itself is uh, just the outer layer of, of that hard uh, house that it's building. And so over years and years, as it builds up layers and layers, that's what actually creates the structures of the reef. So without the coral, the living coral itself, all of the structure that we have out there uh, wouldn't be there. And if we don't have more coral over, over time, new coral settling and growing, the reefs are slowly going to just erode away because it'll just be rock. Right. And this is not, when we say years, we're not just talking a a few years for a reef. We're talking hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Absolutely. (laughs) A coral is a very slow growing animal. It can take hundreds of years to grow a colony, just, you know, a meter wide. Um, There's some faster growing species like the branching corals, the staghorn and the elkhorn. And and that's a lot of what I focus on in my program is, is propagating and restoring these species out to the reefs because they do uh, accrete uh, calcium carbonate so much quicker than some of the other species. But still, you know, we're dealing with so many pressures. We have uh, global climate change. Uh, we have increased hurricanes. And we have this larger issue of, of uh, ocean acidification. And that's going to have real impacts on wearing down these reefs if we can't keep more live coral growing. You know, so so oh, you're fighting, but okay. Wait, pop quiz, Joe. What yeah, is, yeah. What's ocean acidification? It's the, it's, <laughs> yeah, obviously, it's the acidification of the ocean. Due to, <laughs> Due to uh, well, CO2 in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, that, who put it there? <laughs> uh, the monkeys. No. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little. <laughs> well, it depends on who you talk to, I guess. Uh, um, most people um, would say by mankind. Yeah, a lot of scientific, there's a lot of scientific consensus that humans uh, elevate the CO2 in the atmosphere. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the, the larger coral, well, not larger, but the different, the other species of coral are going away as well. Is there, 
but they won't grow as fast as the branching corals. That's right. So are we just focusing on growing the big, the ones that will grow fastest to try and make up the gap of, of the not, loss? Not necessarily. I mean, that that's part of the reason we focused on staghorn is because you get so much bang for your buck right off the bat. We really can make a more measurable impact. Part of the reason, though, too, is that staghorn was so much more prevalent in the Keys and the rest of the Caribbean. Originally. There's, there's been about a 98% loss of the uh, cropper species. Uh, so uh, elkhorn and staghorn corals fall within that. Thing. Wow. Um, throughout the Caribbean. And so it was so much more prevalent uh, on all the reefs in the Keys and throughout the Caribbean. And so that's the one that's really uh, missing the most now. And, so but it also has the, the most benefit. It, it creates three-dimensional structure very rapidly, uh, has the potential to create fish habitat. And again, it's actually creating calcium carbonate. And when those corals, if they do die, the skeleton still provides more uh, limestone that can be cemented down and actually help to keep that that reef structure building um, as it as all these other pressures are working to erode it. Now that's not to say that we're not working with the other species. Dave Vaughn, Dr. Dave Vaughn, the director of our lab, uh, heads the Moats Coral Coral Restoration Program, Coral Reef Restoration Program, and he's mostly focusing on the other species, the mounding corals. Oh, okay. And for years, a lot of people didn't. Uh, focus on those because they are so slow growing and it provides a lot of challenges trying to propagate them in a meaningful way to actually grow them fast enough to, to put them out on the reef uh, in a measurable amount. But he has actually sort of cracked the nut now on the method that can accelerate their growth and allow us to allow moat to propagate these in large numbers and actually put them out uh, and have a, a significant impact in the amount of these other massive corals out on the reef. So um, I, I want to get an idea of what it's like to be you down there um, working with corals, <laughs> diving. <laughs> well, God, I, I couldn't even imagine how many hours of oh dives God, you yeah. have. You, you've got to, it's yeah. got to be in the what tens of thousands? Not, not tens of thousands, but oh. we're getting up there. It, it's, yeah, I definitely have the best job in the world. Uh, we spend uh, more days than not out on the water. Um, you know, we do it year round though. So I know the, the keys don't experience winters like other places in the country, but it's still winter time. Mm -hmm. uh, we get colder temperatures and murky water and rough seas and all that, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, uh, we basically go out on any day that the weather and the conditions allow and get in the water. We, we mostly are focusing on this coral restoration effort right now with staghorn, but the other larger part of our program, monitoring and assessment. So we're involved with, uh, we actually do red tide monitoring in the wintertime because that can have impact on coral reefs in the Keys as it comes downstream from southwest Florida. We do coral bleaching monitoring in the summertime. Uh, we're involved with networks looking for disease outbreaks, which is a big, big topic right now in south Florida. That's a, a big concern uh, up in the Miami-Dade and, and Broward area. Um, so yes, we we spend a large amount of time underwater. So like, um, hate to sound cliche, but paint a picture of when you're going down there, either to the reef or the nursery that you have down there. What what do you see for someone who's never been there, maybe doesn't dive? What does it look like? Um, well, you know, we still have a lot of reefs in the lower keys that that just have a lot of of life going on. It's I know we all talk about how bad things are getting and how it's declining, but yeah. um, there's there's still beautiful beautiful reefs. 
the, the problem is, as a coral biologist, I understand the shifts that are happening. So we go out to a, a popular dive spot. There's lots of color. There's lots of fish, but there's not a lot of stony coral left. It doesn't mean they're still not beautiful. Uh, it's just we're losing a lot of the ecological function in these reefs as things shift from a stony coral-dominated habitat to more algae and soft corals and sponge habitat. And again, that all gets back to the, the big picture is if we don't have more coral, eventually the structure of the reef itself is going to erode away over mm -hmm. time. Um, but yeah, we still have some absolutely beautiful reefs, lots of color, lots of fish. Um, every reef is different. I look forward to getting in the water every time because you just never know what you're going to see down there from big to small, uh, big animals to, to the little tiny things. Like I still big would... grouper or? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, a, a sort of a love hate relationship with Goliath grouper. I've, oh, yeah. I've had a, a run in <laughs> with one before. Um, he thought my hand looked like it would be a good snack. So, uh, <laughs> they are the vacuum cleaners of yeah. the reef. Yes. Luckily, I got it back. Yeah, nice. Your hands look pretty, pretty sound. That your yeah. hands look like they're okay. Now you got to have a favorite reef you dive on, though. Um, kind of everybody does. We, we don't. You know, we have really? so many neats. Well, so they're all so different, and that's one thing I like about the lower keys. The lower keys. Um, it's a, it's a different animal than what you see in the magazines from Key Largo and, and the gin clear water. The, the water's not as clear. We get a lot of influence from Florida Bay. But I think that has a lot to do with some of the protection that the reefs get. A lot of that green color in the water uh, blocks uh, UV light. And so there may be a lot of protection of being afforded to some of these these shallower reefs that most people won't dive because they on any given day you look over the side and you can't see bottom. But we have uh, spots that have just like a coral garden with just multicolored corals, you know, everywhere. Um, some really neat spots. There's deeper spots that have more fish. Um, Lukey, Lukey is probably one of the sort of the, the yeah. icons in yeah. the lower keys. That's where all the tourist boat goes. And despite all the pressure, it's held up pretty well. But again, the coral, the coral, stony coral itself is, is sort of in a decline, even though the fish and everything else are are still doing well. But that's probably one of my favorite spots. Yeah, yeah I think Luke is my favorite down there. It's, I don't know what uh, it, it has is. changed, though, <laughs> since the, the first time I ever dove Luke. Yeah. It's pretty unique. The There's not a lot of reefs in the lower keys that have that same structure, that spur and groove. I mean, it's yeah. a really classic reef. Um, you can see lots of large animals, everything from the big sharks swimming through, uh, lots of fish because it's a protected area, so lots of big snapper and hogfish that you just would never see in those sizes anywhere else. Mm. Um, and then if you get in close, you can really find some amazing little creatures too. Yeah, the little around. shrimps. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's amazing. Did you just say shrimps? Shrimps. <laughs> shrimp. Sorry, shrimp. <laughs> it is gorgeous down there, and it's kind of... You don't often stop to think, at least I don't, that, you know, when people say, how are the reefs doing, um, how are the Florida's reefs doing, that it's people like Eric who are the ones telling us that. It's like, without you guys, we probably wouldn't know because it's very systematic. You're part of this whole Florida Reef Resilience Program that does surveys in a, uh, a standardized That's way. That's some of the, the dedicated monitoring and assessment programs that we are involved with, but Moat has such a large uh, background working with the community and volunteers. And so we actually have several programs that involve the community, uh, recreational divers, commercial divers, uh, anybody who's out on the water regularly and sort of has a, a basic knowledge of what it's normally like out there. We work directly with these groups and we provide sort of a, a basic training to uh, report on disease 
and report on bleaching. And in a way that rather than it just be sort of anecdotal community observations, it, it has a standardized sort of reporting format and even a standardization to the way in which they describe what they're seeing. So this provides sort of the first first response or the first look at what's happening on the reef. I mean, we get out every day, but we can only be in so many spots at once. Um, so Corey Walter, she coordinates our Bleach Watch program and our Sea Ocean programs at, at Moat in the Keys. And it basically tries to uh, get all of the community to uh, report what they're seeing out on the reef. We take that information, and again, it's, it's a little more standardized than just people calling and, and sort of giving their impression on things. And that helps then to drive the next level. So we work with then um, other agencies and organizations that do have scientific training to do the Florida Reef Resilience uh, Project, Disturbance Response Monitoring, DRM. And that's in the summertime, that's actually sort of triggered by if the community monitoring is seeing bleaching, then we know to start targeting certain areas and get out and do these more dedicated scientific surveys that will allow us to actually quantify what is happening as far as bleaching and, and how much might be getting lost from year to year. So these partnerships are really important. Absolutely, both with the community, but with also with all the other agencies and organizations down in the Keys. The Keys are managed by probably seven different uh, agencies, federal, state, it's, it's sort of an alphabet soup of who's in charge and, and who has jurisdiction. And we work with all of these groups. They all bring players to the table. We work with all the stakeholders, so both community groups and just the community in general, along with the agency and other researchers, um, and sort of bring everybody together, and we can get information from all these different groups and bring it into one paint one big picture for Sounds us. like a lot to do, though. It sounds like it's a really complex <laughs> system. Yeah. The Keys is a challenging place. You know, it's a 100-plus mile-long island chain, uh, upper Keys, middle, lower, and even out to the Dry Tortugas. They're all different regions. They all have their different characteristics. Uh, and there's a lot of geographical separation between these and a lot of challenges to getting out to a lot of these remote places. And again, that's why programs like Bleach Watch and Sea Ocean that can utilize people that are out on the water uh, people that go out to the Tortugas, which can be, you know, 90 miles out, um, it, you know, we wouldn't be able to get all this information to understand the big picture without that. Uh, and that's what helped guides us when we do go out ourselves and, and conduct additional assessments to try to quantify damage or impacts or losses or changes that, that are being reported. The other half of what we do, you know, we do a lot of monitoring and assessment, but uh, a lot of people were doing monitoring for many, many years. And, and you know, the decline of the reefs and the keys is well documented. We know that. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stop monitoring. We still need to understand these episodic events. But because of that, we sort of wanted to take a more proactive approach. And my program, like Dave, Vaughn, Dave Vaughn's program with Coral Reef Restoration, is involved with active restoration to try to make some positive change and improvements in the face of all these declines. So uh, just like we involved the community with sort of keeping an eye on the conditions out there and reporting it, we also value the community's input in helping us with this active restoration. So we try to work with like the local community college and local uh, organizations like Scuba Knots, which is actually a, a statewide organization with multiple chapters here in Sarasota. Uh, they are trying to start one in the Keys and elsewhere. And these are uh, teenage kids who are trying to uh, be mentored in ocean stewardship, basically, and uh, it, it gives them a nice, a good lesson on what's happening out there, why we need to do that, and actually a, a sense of, of ownership and um, 
like they're taking part in, in making a positive change. Do you ever have to talk people out of any uh, pessimism on this? Like, oh, the corals are so, so far impacted, we can't. We can't fix this. Well, sure, and yeah. I want to I want to stress the fact that you know what we're doing with coral restoration is just a tiny little, it's a tiny little helping hand, yeah. and it, by no means is this the solution. I don't want anybody to think that we can just propagate coral uh, to a point where we can just restore all the reefs and everything else will be fine, yeah. because there is a much much bigger issue out there. Global climate change is not going to go away unless we do something about it, and the reefs are going to go away unless we do something about global climate change. What we're doing with our restoration is trying to give these corals a leg up. So we're doing it in a way that increases their reproduction. It increases their resilience by trying to choose uh, specific colonies that have shown tolerance to previous stress events like bleaching and disease. So we're trying to pick the hardiest of the crop, mm -hmm. propagate it, and put it back out there to give it a leg up and hopefully give it a little added uh, push in the face of this, this steady decline. Now, uh, do a lot of them do pretty well over time? I know you monitor, you know, their survival. Well, the, the science of restoration, I mean, restoration has been around for a long time, coral reef restoration, but sure. doing staghorn and elkhorn in the Keys in particular, you know, it's less than a decade now. And mm -hmm. it, in, that, in terms of that, it's still in its infancy. And there's a lot we need to learn still. Uh, we've, we've figured out a lot of the methods that, that work. We've helped learned a lot about those methods to refine it, to get things to work better, but we still don't fully understand all the factors that drive success. We can put corals of the same genotypes at one reef and they do great, and 200 meters away at a slightly different patch reef, they can do not so great. So, you know, there's everything from these regional issues like water quality and impacts from Florida Bay and the Gulf of Mexico to small-scale issues where one reef may have more predators on it uh, coral predators or other impacts from boaters that might be using that spot. There's a lot of variability. Um, so we're, we're still, we still have a lot to learn, um, but we have been able to increase our productivity to the point where we're now putting out tens of thousands of corals per year. We're getting to the end here, but I, I wanted to say real quick that I, I remember hearing that some of the corals you put out did um, breed, did like sexually reproduce. Yep. Yep. That was pretty cool. Um, so, so again, corals grow very slow. So yeah. in nature, for a, a staghorn or an elkhorn coral to settle from a single larvae, uh, reproduce asexually through, through uh, cloning, making more polyps, uh, next to it until it forms a large enough colony and grow and grow and grow until the point where it can actually spawn during that once a year spawning where there's a huge release of egg and sperm into the water column. That's the real sexual reproduction of corals. It only happens once a year for most species. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long time, many, many years for most corals to reach that state. We can take a tiny little clipping the size of your little finger, mm -hmm. grow it in the nursery for a year, Plant it out on the reef, and within two years, it will grow big enough that it will spawn. We have wow. actually found that. So, wow. And the wow. same goes for the massive corals that, that Moat is producing through Dave Vaughn's restoration program. We're finding that his technology is speeding up the process so fast that he can do the same thing. He can take a very small cutting of a coral, he can put it out, and it can, uh, they can sheet out and fuse together with other similar corals into a big enough coral that it can spawn in just a few years as opposed to decades. The larger picture is try to increase the breeding population so we can do population enhancement. We kind of wrap this all around and, and, and tie it up nicely. Um, what would be the main message you would tell people that are listening um, that they could do to help make your job 
and the corals uh, better? Well, again, you know, the, the biggest thing facing corals is global climate change. So we all need to sort of do what we can to start making a difference in that way. But if you want to get involved locally, uh, you know, we do have programs. We can get the community involved. Uh, we, we can have people actually come out and help us plant from time to time if the conditions are right. And Moat also has the Protect Our Reef license plate. I mean, I, I hate to make a shameless plug for this, but all the sales from this plate do go to support the work we're doing in the Keys directly. It's true. Yeah, it's um, absolutely true. You know, it, it provides, basically provides the revenue to keep the facility running. Uh, and it, it makes money available to not only our researchers, but other researchers that come and use this facility for other disciplines of, of marine science. Protect Our Reef is a great way to show your support for the oceans and for the work that Moat's doing. Oh, yeah, like a ton of the research papers that come out of um, the Keys, you see some kind of Protect Our Reefs funding on them. So that's the first place I look when I'm like, where do I want, well, I want a new science story to tell. <laughs> What's the Protect Our Reefs grant people doing? <laughs> so it's it's a really great program, and maybe you can feel a little warmer and fuzzier every time you get in your car if you have a Protect Our Reefs license go. plate. Well, um, I do have to say before we finish up that uh, the whole, the new building, the reef plate, um, all of that is because people um, come together to support Moat. We've had some amazing donors um, in, in the recent fundraising campaign we had that made the, the new building possible. So as a nonprofit, we really couldn't do any of this without the community's help. Um, so if you want to um, support Moat, just check out our website. We have a don't Mo forget to donate. Yes. <laughs> if you donate, you're helping people like Eric here. Yeah, and you like Eric, right? I think I, Eric's I, great. Yeah, I like yeah. Eric. Yeah, I've known I think Eric for a while. Deserves it. Yeah. Has it? He does a great job. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, well, that does it for us. Uh, anything else from you guys? No, I'm looking forward to seeing Eric down at his new digs this yeah. summer, and. I I think that will wrap it up for us here. Yeah, we'll see you in uh, two weeks with another episode of 2C Fans at Moat.